I couldn't go and eat that bowl of soup. I couldn't pick up a spoon to feed myself soup. And this was on top of I'd already stopped being able to drive the car. I could, I, the, the panic was so much getting into a car was just impossible. I could, I'd stopped seeing friends because I couldn't go out because, you know, hey, I'm going to have a cup of tea. I couldn't even pick up a cup without having a panic attack. So I was sitting in the chair and I knew. I knew that I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. And then as I sat there in that chair with the weight of that realisation, 46 years old I was, I'm going to die. I have no prospects. I have no way forward. I have no way back. Nobody really knows. I've been so secretive. Nobody really knows. And I just felt a little voice inside me say, no, no, we're not dying this way. And that was it. That was literally it. Not this, not, not this way, not now, not this way. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 176. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Almost two years ago, I gulped you down and took handfuls of pulls with you to try to finally escape. I chose you as my last taste, as my final escape. You, you were my confidence to try to control my final act, to bow out and leave what I didn't want to face. But it wasn't meant to be. I tried to walk away holding your hand, but by some miracle, I stood up to face another day. And once again chose to have you by my side. Somehow I believed you made me feel more alive when I felt dead inside. I relied on you. I thought I loved you. I boasted how you were my longest relationship. You've been my life since I was a child and I've always struggled to go a week and sometimes a few hours without you. I wrote about you, encouraged people to taste you and held events where you were the hero. I let you be the hero. 
instead of realizing I had to man up and choose to be my own hero. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Annie McDonald, an Australian executive with a difficult start in life, followed by a 20-year career in the wine industry. These days, she's thriving in her alcohol-free life and inspiring others as a sober coach. I began our conversation by asking Annie to talk about her formative years. By about the time I was seven or eight, I started to realise that something wasn't quite right. Um, you know, I was a very observant child, you know, a pretty pretty quiet child, I would say, but very observant, very watchful, very much had a, a good instinct of what was happening, even the unsaid. So I could see around about that age that life as a family was starting to show cracks. And my dad was drinking at that stage. I had very strong memories of developing quite a hypervigilant sense around my father arriving home from work. If he arrived at a certain time, I could breathe. If it was later and the later it got, the more the anxiety would start to build. He was having an affair. You know, there was a lot going down. And my mum, on the other hand, uh, was isolated at home. She didn't work. She didn't have her own bank account. Um, She obviously, she knew that there was something going on in her marriage. And she herself didn't have a mother that was that was really available to her. Um, so she felt very isolated in her situation. And it continued to get a lot worse for her, I think, over the, the next couple of years. And she, she started um, confiding in somebody who was who held a position of authority. You know, she was vulnerable and she had an affair with this person and she became pregnant. I was about 14 and, of course, very aware. You know, I knew what was going on. I was becoming very internally angry. There wasn't really anyone to talk to. And I was a a child that was quite contained. She left the family. She, I do know now that she was told she had to leave. At the time, I thought she left. You know, I thought she just left us. She took one of my sisters with her because she needed help. I flat refused. I, I was so angry, Janet. I, she was my person. Like my mum was the one. I, I always was crazy for her praise and just was so devastated by all of this. I'd seen it happening over a few years. The anxiety was such that I started wetting my pants at school. Can you imagine, like 14, 15 years old, starting to pee your pants at school? It's horrifying. It's shameful. It's, it's you know, the fact that my mum got pregnant, had to leave the home, that was shameful. I was just overwhelmed with this betrayal and abandonment and, and deep, deep, deep shame. At the same time, I was a super high-achieving student. Um, I was playing state basketball, carrying on as you do, just she'll be right, mate, to the outside world, but inside I'm, like, dying. That was around about the time I started to discover alcohol. Because of my sport and my commitments to sport at a high level, uh, I would say, you know, it was pretty contained at that stage. But the consequence of the trauma was that I lost trust 
in myself as as I knew my family to be, what I thought my family to be, was completely shattered and everything I believed to be true wasn't. And the people that I trusted the most in the world were untrustworthy. And I think that element of distrust yeah. alongside of the anxiety and the panic and, mm-hmm. and keeping everything internalised was that was the perfect storm for me to find an outlet where I could trust that alcohol was going to give me some relief. I could trust that it wasn't going to let me down. It was always like, you know, it was just there. And from that point on, it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight thing, but it was, it was almost love at first sight. Yeah, this is the friend I've been waiting for. We do fall in love with alcohol. One of the tools that we recommend to people when they're trying to quit is 100%. to write a goodbye to alcohol yeah. letter, you know, as if they're writing to a lover that's been mistreating them. Just draw, drawing a line under it. Because there's so many parallels, isn't there, between alcohol and an abusive lover. So talk Very, to us about how your drinking evolved. I didn't know what I wanted to do. We didn't really have career guidance Subsequently, when I was going to university, I decided I'll just take subjects that I like. You know, it was very much a, I'll just continue, basically continue my high school education into university. And once that was done, I I travelled overseas with one of my best friends and that took up a little bit of extra time that I didn't have to worry about it. And then I came back and I finished another year of university. And in that year, I was doing viticulture the wine industry, awesome. That's that's what I'm interested in. So I went on from university to study wine marketing through Adelaide University and then found myself in the wine industry, Janet. Like that was just the perfect place and it was heaven. I was just surrounded by people who loved wine and at that stage uh, the Australian wine industry was like it was just starting to boom it was so fun you know there was lots of beautiful trips to wineries mixing with trade in restaurants and clubs and yeah it was just such a fun time of course in that fun time it was very enabling of that drinking being very typical of a day like that's just what we did we did it at work I worked in sales and I worked for a distribution company. We, we distributed nearly 100 different amazing brands. It wouldn't be unusual to be sitting at 9 o'clock at a sales meeting and, and you'd finish with a tasting. Yeah. And what's interesting, Anne, is with your work now and your insights now, you've got such a, a deep understanding of the marketing. Yeah. So there's that element of the science of wine and everything that goes behind that and the, the food and wine industry and, and it yeah. does draw you in. But there's a sincerity about that as well, which you don't actually see in, especially as, you know, what we see now, all the memes and the okayness of, of adding alcohol into everything, whether whatever emotion you're feeling, alcohol is right there with you. It's, it's by yeah. your side through th- thick and thin was this in your 20s, 30s that you were in the wine industry? Yes. Yeah. So 20s, 30s, and also up until 
I crashed and burned uh, in my mid-40s. So it was a huge part of my life to the point where I didn't know how to escape that life. It was all that I had created. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. And how many years uh, would you say that you knew that you were developing a bit of a problem with alcohol and you knew that you were drinking too much and you needed to make a change or you needed to cut down? Did you always have that that feeling? Yeah, I did. Uh, not in my late teens, early 20s, because I was still playing pretty high-level sport. Um, so I would just binge drink. You know, I was I was a huge binge drinker and at that age you just can bounce back so you really do feel invincible and then um through my 20s probably still could carry it off um I knew I knew I was drinking too much and I was drinking more than most people and I was usually the one who was crying at the end of the night or you know same same but I just couldn't face it I, I couldn't face that there was a problem there it it was it was too much because you know I, I still was I still had that uncertainty about myself I, I really I couldn't bear the thought of letting go of something like drinking I, I actually up right right up until the end I was questioning that it was an impossibility so what would life look by with that with that impossibility and I think it's that that fear, isn't it, that keeps us trapped. I was exactly the same. I thought, well, you know, how could I live without wine? What would that look like? You know, you just can't imagine it. And that fear really keeps you trapped. And that's why you start trying to cut down because, you know, my thinking was, well, if I can just control this, you know, if I can drink within the low risk limits, I can carry on drinking. But of course I couldn't because I was hopelessly dependent. By I know. Then. But I spent 10 years, yep. you know, trying to moderate, trying and failing and trying and failing. And then, you know, my self-esteem mm. was absolutely on the floor because I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I drink sensibly? like my husband, who will have one glass of wine and then go and do something else, whereas I'd have to finish the bottle. It's because if you're, you're on one side of the fence and the fence feels so high, you cannot see or imagine what, looks, looks, what it looks like over the other side. And, and it's scary to know that if you climb over that fence, there really isn't, for me, there is no going back. And um, I, I, just going back to what you were just saying before, moderation, I've never, I, I don't think I've ever suffered more than trying to moderate. Like it is the, the mind chatter that goes, the exhausting activity that goes behind trying to monitor and manage and reason with yourself and I'll give you a break if you do this and you could do that and, and then the arguments that ensue because of, oh, I, I said I was going to do one thing and I did another thing. Um, you know, it's just a constant to me, it was it was over time so exhausting to to try and manage. You know that this is even before things got really out of control. We'll talk more about this later. But before I hit record, we were both marveling, weren't we, on the, how awesome alcohol-free life is and how we could never dream it would be like this when we were drinking. Yeah, it's like it's like carrying around a big rock on the back of your back and you're like I'm determined to carry this rock 
I will carry this rock. And when you put the rock down, the relief, (laughs) the lightness of putting the rock down and going, I don't have to do this anymore. I actually don't have to carry that rock. It's almost like an insane realisation that, you, you know, the story in your head that you had to keep carrying the rock was just an illusion. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy, actually, Annie. Yeah. Yeah. And I say to people, you know, it's it's not easy those first few months and you have to do the work, but then you get a whole different life at the end of it, which makes so much more sense than spending the rest of your life trying to <laughs> oh. moderate. Because all you do then is the hardest bit over and over again, don't you? Because those first few weeks when you're trying to cut down, it's so difficult. I wish that I had known then what I know now. And what I know now is it is so much easier just to quit the stuff completely than to try and control it. Because it's, it's addictive. And if we are dependent, then we don't stand a chance, really. So you mentioned crash and burn. Let's let's hear about the crash and burn, please. <laughs> the rock bottom. It was a slow burn. Uh, it, it crashed in the end, but it was a slow burn. My partner at the time and I worked for the same wine company and um, the owner had said to us, listen, we've got some real issues in our New South Wales office. We would like you to both relocate up there and fix it and I was horrified I like that I did not want to go I was actually in a really great job in the company and I had very much still a family person through and through and I didn't want to leave my family but it was a really good opportunity and my partner really wanted to go so we went and I think it was about a month before I had my first massive panic attack I had had a panic attack before, but not like that. That was in my late 30s. I would have been about 38. And so the timeline for the next probably seven years or so, seven plus years, was very much trying to manage, again, secretly to myself, trying to manage panic and anxiety on top of the drinking. And you can only do that for so long things are unraveling and you, you you trying to hold it's like holes in the dike you know you're p- putting your finger into all the little holes that are the rivulets are starting to pop out everywhere and you, you're trying to plug all the holes all the time and, and you, you you know maintaining appearances and doing well at your job like still still achieving at your job but that started to drop off you know into my mid-40s I was really I knew that um the drinking was becoming really really bad the anxiety and the panic were almost unmanageable oh my god I can't even uh I was just I just felt like I was in a constant state of being terrified you know I was constantly my nerve my poor nervous system I can't even even to myself like the forgiveness and the kindness that I show myself now is very much um you know that legacy of keeping my my nervous system in such a state, uh, on such a state of alert 24-7, you just wear yourself down. So the the crux came on the 14th of April. So back in 2014, that whole week had been horrific. My partner had decided he 
he, we were both shifting into different careers. We had left the wine industry the year previously. He had gone interstate to um, sit for a qualification. He was moving into a different field. I was on my own. As soon as the door closed, I was like, relax the shoulders because here I go. And that was on a Tuesday. He came back on a Thursday afternoon. I was in bed. I'd been drinking pretty much nonstop. Up in the middle of the night, talking online with people, you know, sober communities, people trying to be sober, but really we're all sitting there drinking and then sleeping at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, getting up, drinking again, sleeping, just horrible. And he came home and he was like, why are you in bed? Like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm sick. And I was, not what he thought. And so that whole next three days were wrangling with myself. I knew I could, I could see that and I could almost sensory feel the, the booming of the drums and, and the fact that whatever was happening was coming to a, a crescendo really. And on the Monday I woke up and I had polished off the last of the alcohol and I was sick and it was a grey Monday. We were just at home, the two of us, and he was making soup and I was sitting in the corner of the lounge room and he just looked over at me and he's like, well, come on, you know, come and get your soup. And I could feel the panic attack coming on. I could feel it. I could feel my arms starting to, like I, I used to get a particular feeling come down my arms and I could feel my heart and my ears starting to ring and my arms starting to tremble and I couldn't go and eat that bowl of soup. I couldn't pick up a spoon to feed myself soup. And this was on top of I'd already stopped being able to drive the car. I could, I, the, the panic was so much getting into a car was just impossible. I could, I'd stopped seeing friends because I couldn't go out because, you know, hey, I'm going to have a cup of tea. I couldn't even pick up a cup without having a panic attack. So I was sitting in the chair and I knew, I knew that I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. And then as I sat there in that chair with the weight of that realisation, 46 years old I was, I'm going to die. I have no prospects. I have no way forward. I have no way back. Nobody really knows. I've been so secretive. Nobody really knows. And I just felt a little voice inside me say, no, no, we're not dying this way. And that was it. That was literally it. Not this, not, not this way, not now, not this way. Wow, that was your not this moment. So what happened next? So in the background of all of this, I had, like many of us do, been scrolling the internet, doing all the quizzes, reading books, uh, listening to 
there was not that many podcasts around at that point, but there were a few. There was a lot of blogs. There was a lot of sober blogs. I had been reading different blogs. I had been looking for my golden ticket, like how, how do I escape this? But not how do I escape this without giving up alcohol, but just how do I mitigate and and get through whatever's going on. But I had um, come across a Canadian woman who was living in Paris and she was a blogger, Belle, Belle from Tired of Thinking About Drinking, and she had her 100-day challenge. And on that Thursday that my husband had come, the Thursday before the Monday when he came home, that morning I had sent her a message saying I want to join the 100-day challenge and um, she had messaged me back, I think, the next day and said, you know, we're ready. You've got a spot if you want a spot. And I was like, I, I, I actually didn't, I wasn't, you know, you know, I might have written that, but I, I'm not really sure that I actually meant that. But on the Monday, I knew that that was, that was the way forward for me. And she, her voice resonated 100%. And um, so I started the very next day was, uh, yeah, the start of the 100-day challenge and that was it. I knew by about day 40-ish that I wasn't stopping it 100 days. I asked for the pledge for the one eight, day 180 club or day 180 team, I think she calls it, and um, I, I signed that pledge before day 50. I'm like, I'm, I already know. And the, the relief I felt with... I don't have to think about this. I don't have to think about this for 100 days and it's only 100 days. It's not forever. It's just, you know, we'll just see what happens. And um, that was the space I needed. Yeah, well, our mind clears, doesn't it? Just after a short time of sobriety and we can can see what we need to do if we've got to the stage that, that you and I got to. What were your early days of sobriety like? Um, did you have any physical symptoms? Did you struggle with that at all? Uh, I did still struggle. I, I was lucky. Like I suppose if I look back now, um, <laughs> never really lost that fear of ridicule and shame. So the thought of having to take myself into a hospital or a um uh, put myself into an AA meeting or stand up and um, even to say to my partner, this is how bloody bad it is. Um, I just, I had to get on with it myself. So even though I, I didn't feel great, I was lucky that I didn't have a real reaction to just stopping. Um, I, and I was able to manage it. I was able, you know, I was able at the time I wasn't, um, I wasn't working full time and I was able to just rest and I was so earnest, you know, I was so like I'm going to email every day, I'm going to do all the things um, because I there's no way forward and there's no way back. I'm stuck. I kind of have to go through, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and you were accountable and uh, that makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Knowing that there's other people in this position and you're all going through this challenge together. So I read your website. You, you write beautifully, actually. There's a beautiful piece of writing on there. 
but amongst your writing, I, I found this sentence uh, where you said that you pivoted your entire way of being when drinking was no longer a, an option. Can you talk to that a little bit? It's a nice way to put it. So there's sort of like before I was about seven years old when you're, and, and in any child really kind of you're free, you're not, you, you don't have those stories that you're, you become attached to, the labels that you suddenly feel like apply to you, um, all of those things that as a child you have freedom from. I had spent so many decades trying to escape myself so fearful of what I might find, Janet, like what a terrible person I am, uh, what I must be. So what what the way of being the change was, was to start to open up to who is this person? Who, who might I find if I dare to look? And and nothing, there is nothing that could be any worse than the decades of what has just transpired. So why not take a peek and see what see what arises? And I think what was so <laughs> thrilling for me. And still makes me, like, honestly makes me giggle. I feel like that young child again in that I was able to discard those labels. I, you know, I have a, a little, di- like a little, you know, those little diamond paperweight things. Um, and one of my coaches had, had once said to me, you know, this is this is the essence of who we are, like this diamond and and then she showed us another one that was covered up with masking tape and on each piece of masking tape was, you know, something that you might label yourself. I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that. And it covers up that true essence of who you really are and it's not until you start to let those fall away that you can start to see who you truly are and I, I don't know, there's such, there was such a joy in that realisation, oh, wait a minute, could it be true that I actually like myself, (laughs) that I'm a pretty decent person and without the alcohol I am so much, I have so much more. I thought the alcohol was giving me everything that I had to give to other people and it was shrinking and depleting me of everything that was genuine and uh, everything that I could potentially share with myself and the world, which brings all the beauty of this one life that we have to, to the fore. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I bet, sorry, I bet you can look back upon 
Annie, the little girl, with compassion now, can't you? You know, I'm thinking about the story when you were 14 years old. You had so much to cope with. And there you were, you know, playing your basketball and keeping it all together. And uh, it's amazing what you went through. So for me now, there's still painful moments from that 14-year-old girl sitting on the bed with her mother, knowing what her mother was going to tell her. And the deep pain that hearing those words out loud, I'm pregnant, just devastates. I, I, I can take myself back there in an instant. I can feel, I feel my body has that memory. You know, the body keeps the score. The body, my body has that memory. And that is still something very, very painful to me and it's part of the journey of, of my, you know, my exploration um, it's a bit narcissistic in a way because it's very, very much about me. But that ego side is one thing, but that spiritual connected side to myself of being able to go back and comfort young Annie. Yeah. Yeah. To, to comfort that little girl and talk to her. Yeah. 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 Well, it's about learning to love ourselves again, isn't it? So at Tribesober, we say sobriety is a superpower. So when I saw on your website that you, um, you know, you help people to learn to be powerful in their sobriety rather than apologetic, ashamed and embarrassed, which is how we feel in early sobriety. I certainly didn't. Like I was ashamed of being sober. What's all that about? How do we learn to be powerful in our sobriety? And there's also a little bit of a play there for me because the powerful piece is is about that. It is about owning um, our drinking past. It is about being unapologetic because that is the gateway through which we can take ourselves into an, a whole new realm of awareness and understanding of life. But the other part is that it's really about integrity. I feel that... Being powerfully sober is really around that alignment with yourself. It's about congruency. We can take a word like powerful and it can have a lot of connotations, a lot of meanings, but I never felt powerful growing up. I never felt able to take control of my life. I felt very, you know, just following as life unfolded, thinking that everything was external and things happened to me. Um, so it really gave my power away in so many ways. And now that power is about that alignment with self. It is about a truth that you and yourself can only share. Like it is really living with, with the knowledge that the drinking was just one part of it. It doesn't define, it doesn't in some ways it doesn't even really as you move past the giving up piece and and into that next phase of this is life as we know it um the powerfully sober piece doesn't really even need to have the sober attached to it because we are just powerful beings living in alignment living more more aligned with our truth yeah yeah 
and in a way, the fact that we have been through this uh, this fire of alcohol dependence means that we've come out the other side and been prepared to do the work. So we have found our power in a way that we might not have done if we'd just been sensible, moderate drinkers. <laughs> we come here to experience something that we have chosen to experience. And for that reason, whatever has happened has been a gift. It has given us the opportunity, like I have had the opportunity to experience so many different things because of the addiction and um, and beyond the addiction, I'm getting to experience a whole new wealth of different things. It is so much more around connection and that spiritual connection with yourself, that real in essence of you're part of something bigger. I feel exactly the same, Annie. And we say to people when they join Tribe Sober, we say, be excited. And they're kind of going, oh, <laughs> all right then. <laughs> but it is exciting, isn't it? Because um, we just get to go through such a journey that we have no idea when we start. Oh, my God. I'm like a little kid, honestly. I, I, I feel I never realised, like sometimes you're like, oh, how embarrassing, you know, when you were drinking, oh, how embarrassing I look like can't even believe I was dancing like that or what well, I still do that like it was such a revelation to realize oh yeah you you actually just are a really bad dancer who you know somebody who really likes to dance but not very good at it and I just do it now like with sort of no you know complete abandon because there's such joy in that freedom of expression and loving the fact that you can just do it without worrying about what other people are thinking yeah yeah no you're, you're so right but what would you say to someone that's you know where we were and they imagine that sobriety must be such a gray and boring place they really don't want to go there yet here you are here we are you know full of joy what would you say to them because it's so difficult in those early months isn't it to even imagine you think oh this is hard is this going to be my life now what would you say to them to inspire them to keep going everyone's journey is is their own but i would say that there are so many people i admire for the achievements and accomplishments that they have done in their lifetime you know for example an olympian for example they didn't wake up one morning and they were an olympian you know they they also didn't wake up one morning and go this is you know understand what what you're going to feel like standing on that podium getting that medal whatever the medal might be you can't know that feeling there's there is a trust involved and that is part like that is the actual juice of the journey is to learning learning to sow those seeds of trust in yourself because so much of I think why we turn to alcohol is because we're trying to feel something that's missing in ourselves and to me quite often that is trust in ourselves trust in our ability to navigate this world, um, trust in our, our, our ability to make choices that are best for ourselves. And so sowing those small seeds of trust um, along the way as if you're somebody waking up and, and 
trying to imagine standing on a, an Olympic podium, um, it's all possible. It is possible, but you, it doesn't happen straight away. So you have to trust that if you put the work in, um, and it's not hard. I mean, it, it, I would say it's not hard work because once you make the decision to put that rock down, the relief that you feel is it's immediate. It is, it's almost like I want that feeling. I want to feel that relief. I want to feel lighter. I want to feel less burdened by my thoughts jumbling around constantly. Um, so I, I would say um, trust little seeds and little steps. Yeah, and faith and, yeah. Yeah, I love the backpack analogy because, you know, we can think, okay, day one, I'm going to put down that backpack and then do I really want to pick it up again, you know, with all those rocks? I don't think so. By choice, like if, if I have a choice to pick it up or not pick it up, what would I prefer to do? Because, um, and let's face it, Janet, like it, it's not, it's not all roses. Like I'm not sitting here like jumping for joy every single day, but I, I just know that things are like what I'm feeling is real. The choices I'm making are real. Um, I'm present. I'm present for myself. So talk to us a bit about your, your work. So here you are nearly nine years sober. Congratulations. At what stage did you think I want to help other people to do what I've done? I, I went back to school. So I studied nutrition. I studied coaching. Um, I started working with my own coach. I started doing little bits of like trying different things. Like I would consult with, I consulted with a leadership company for a little while. I worked um, with women in leadership programs. I took a job in tech, which was a real punt um, in so much as I liked the person. I was always start, I was starting to really trust my gut. I was starting to go, you know, I will just work with trusting my gut and going down this path. So I was coaching on the side, um, but at that point I, I knew I wanted a little bit more structure. I wanted some, I wanted to grow my own experience working with business and corporations. So, yeah, I started working for this company and then found myself working for this global giant in technology and now I have an opportunity um, to kind of combine the two. I have this corporate work that I do and then I have this passion that I do and I'm also working within um, the organisation in their uh, health and wellbeing sector as well. So I'm able to sort of transcend both as, as, as well. But for me, the coaching and helping in any way, shape or form I can is super important to me. Like that giving back aspect, I think some of us or a lot of us feel uh, a real pull towards um, as, we, as we journey through our own sobriety. Yeah, and, and having the opportunity to influence um, your corporate as well, because so many corporates, everyone that I worked for anyway, it was always about work hard, play hard. You know, you work really long hours and do a great job, but you exhaust yourself and then you all go out for drinks, you know, and of course the company pays for drinks. And so many people of us, you know, so many of us were in that uh, that career loop really. 
So, but now I think slowly companies are beginning to to realise that you know they have to help their employees find other ways to wind down a little bit. It's so interesting you say that. So I, I've um, also um, worked with coaches, and uh, I can I can conduct trance sessions, which are similar to meditation sessions as well. Really trying to tap into the unconscious, and I'm going to be doing some of those sessions with. Um, my organization as well and it's I I put a LinkedIn post on my day 3000 which was about July early July last year and I couldn't believe the number of people that reached out to me privately uh, to say I'm struggling thank you for writing this I've had to change jobs because I can't travel anymore because of my drinking Um, senior executives who work across time zones who are having Zoom meetings late at night over a glass of wine and that's just how they're, how they're managing it but they're finding that they're drinking two, three glasses of wine a night just on calls with, um, with colleagues across the world. And all of that means that in some form or fashion you are not operating at your best. You, you cannot be. You, you have to have, there, there's some sort of dulling of the edges that comes as a result of that. And so, you know, I look at it for from a productivity um, perspective and for people to be meeting um, their professional and personal goals to, to being ha- have that level of alertness and the okayness to be sober through their work environment is, is just such a benefit for, for the work themselves. I mean, there's so much more getting done and people are just contributing more and more, but also for the person to be able to show up and not feel, you know, it takes them three coffees to get into their day or, you know, they're struggling um, silently in the background with some level of anxiety um, or, you know, d- addiction that's getting worse and worse because it does unravel. Yeah, yeah. And I always say, even if alcohol doesn't destroy us or make us dependent, you know, many people can manage on those couple of glasses of wine a night, but we'll never really reach our potential either at work or in our personal lives if we drink. And I really believe that now. Talk to us about your power hour and your your sacred walk. Yes. Oh my God, my passions. So the power hour kind of comes from the work I was doing with Belle. So I, you know, I was a sober apprentice, one of her sober apprentices, um, as a sober pen pal for quite a while. And you just start to really, you start to see patterns. You start to see how, um, you know, what people are like at day three versus day 14 versus day 30 versus day 60, etc. So there's a lot of um, familiarity, although we don't realise it as drinkers, we think we're on our own, we think this is just our, happening to us, but there is a lot of similarity to um, how we drink, the tools that we need, the things that we think about ourselves, our lack of um, self-soothing uh, and an ability to be able to connect in with ourselves, our sensitivity. Uh, there's a lot of different things that, you know, patterns and, and similarities. So the power hour is really um, for people who re- need some tactical advice or need to access some 
um, different tools or really just need to talk through their situation to feel like they're not alone, um, that, in fact, um, there is nothing bad, wrong or needs fixing about themselves, um, to, to feel that reassurance and um, connection with somebody else who's, who's felt a lot of those things and has seen seen a lot of other people go through it so that's that's the power hour is really an opportunity for someone just to connect in on a very sort of quick it's not it honestly it's an hour could be two hours could be longer or less yeah it sounds to me like uh, that's advice you know which is very different from coaching as you know so uh, but advice is, is valuable you know people that have no tools and don't realize you know that they're not alone they can get so much just from talking to someone that's been through it and gives them a few tips to get started every saturday afternoon we open up our tribe sober zoom cafe it's a safe space where our members can connect check in and just shoot the breeze about alcohol free living if you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Sacred Walk. I like that name. Take us on a sacred walk. So the sacred walk is something that we all walk. It is our life. Is something that we are always constantly walking. But this particular um, program for me, it's a four-month-ish program, could go a bit longer depending on the person. Um, And four months is really so that there's a a significant period of time, roughly around 120 to 150 days, where we can start to really dive deeper because some of the transformational work Janet, as you know, comes from being able to let go of some of the ideas about ourselves and starting to recognise your own truths and and building that powerfulness around that. So we start with a commitment pledge and that is something that we co-create. It's a commitment pledge that we co-create together myself and the person because ultimately what this is is not in my mind I've done a lot of coaching with a lot of different coaches this is a deep this is somebody who is prepared to really go deep Um, and that that special bond that trust that sacred contract that we create together is really powerful so we we start off with a um a pledge which is really just a frame of where we are in that moment. Um, The next part is really around examining your world from the outside in and it's something I call see it. And then the next part is examining the world from the inside out, which is something I call meet it. And then that third part um, is where we're looking at the illusion versus your reality. Elizabeth Gilbert uses a term called perspectacles, which I really, really love. So it is is it is um, taking a pretty pretty much how do we put on a new pair of perspectacles 
in that moment and that is something I call love it. So we see it, we meet it, we love it. And then as we as we move through that journey as well, we're creating um, an I am doc- document. So I am and then what whatever might follow from there. I am whatever might follow from there. It is a powerful declaration of the essence of who you are and what you stand for. That's a beautiful program. And who is it for, this program? Is it for people that that want to quit, that are still drinking, or for sober people, or for both? Um, The Sacred Walk is for somebody who has a small amount of time under their belt, sobriety time, um, and is really looking for that transformational piece in their life. Like, how do I go from... How do I go from being okay to thriving? Absolutely. There's such a need for that. So you're answering that question that we all ask at some stage, which is, I'm sober, now what? <laughs> How can people find you, Annie? I'm sure people are listening to this. Some people and they think, oh, yes, I'd like to do that. You can check out my website. Yeah, that, that's probably the, the first place. Powerfullysober.com. Yeah, LinkedIn is is a good one. Uh, Annie McDonald, um, that's that's a pretty easy one actually to contact me on or Annie at powerfullysober.com via via email. Thank you so much for the share, Annie. Let's pull out a few key points. Annie's father had a drinking problem and her parents had a difficult marriage. In fact, her mother left the home when Annie was just 14. Unsurprisingly, Annie felt angry and abandoned and it was about this time that she discovered alcohol, which eventually became her best friend. She was unsure of career ambitions, so she just chose random subjects to study at university. One of them was viniculture, which she loved. So she went on to join Australia's burgeoning wine industry and absolutely loved her job. Of course, she got to hang out with her best friend alcohol every single day and a tasting at a 9am sales meeting was not unusual. Annie enjoyed this lifestyle throughout her 20s and 30s, but in her 40s, she crashed and burned. She'd known for years that she had a problem with alcohol, but she just couldn't imagine her life without it. I was the same, and we agreed that it's this fear of life without our best friend that keeps us trapped. I sometimes wish I had a time machine that I could put some of our new members in, those people who are struggling, scoring a few alcohol-free days and then caving. In early sobriety, it's impossible to imagine just how different your life will be if you make this change. Annie came up with a great analogy about rocks. She said that when you're drinking, it feels like you're carrying a backpack of rocks, and when you stop, you put it down. And life feels so much better, so much lighter. You marvel at how wrong you were to fear alcohol-free living. Yes, it does take a few months of hard work, but then you're free and your life starts to evolve in the most extraordinary ways. So people need to have faith. It's just like my favourite Martin Luther King quote. 
Take the first step on the staircase, even if you can't see the top. So if you're ready to take that first step on the staircase, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. We'll take care of the rest. Like many of us, Annie experienced a rock bottom. She described her not this moment, as she called it. It came in her mid-40s as a result of severe anxiety, which had left her unable to drive, unable to see other people, unable to even lift a spoon to eat some soup. Those not-this moments come to us when we know we just can't do this anymore. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So Annie signed up for a 100-day challenge and felt great relief that she didn't have to think about her drinking for a 100 days. And that's a great attitude to go into a challenge with. We've got our annual 66-day challenge starting on the 1st of September. So if you'd like to join that and take a 66-day break from thinking about alcohol, then just go to the homepage of tribesober.com. Annie and I talked about the power that we begin to feel as we become more aligned with who we really are in sobriety. We take control and no longer feel that things are just happening to us. Like many of us who've been sober for a few years, Annie felt the pull towards helping others. So she trained as a sobriety coach and we talked about the sacred walk experience that she offers. You can find out more about Annie on her website, which is called PowerfullySober.com. She's also on LinkedIn, or you can email her, Annie at PowerfullySober.com. I'll put all that in the show notes. At the end of August, we're running a five-day pop-up course on the power of journaling. It'll be on a private Facebook group. You can get all the details and sign up if you go to tribesober.com. It's right there on the homepage. Straight after journaling week, we've got our annual 66-day challenge. There'll be online audio and community support, all starting on September the 1st. The sign-up page is live now, so just go to the homepage of tribesober.com and check it out. Let me end by reading you a message from one of our chat rooms. This one is from Vincenzia, who's approaching her first soberversary. She's talking about the benefits she's experienced now that she's alcohol-free. Choosing this path of sobriety has given me the space to self-reflect and delve into my passions and values. I've set new goals that align with my authentic self, ultimately leading me to a more fulfilling life. The fog that often clouded my judgment during my codependent days has lifted. I navigate life with greater mental clarity, improved focus and better decision-making abilities. Maintaining a healthy lifestyle has had a remarkable impact on my self-confidence. By overcoming my struggles, I've grown into a stronger and more confident version of myself. As I continue on this journey... I'm so grateful for the changes that I've experienced and the person I've become. Each day brings new opportunities for growth and I look forward to embracing them with the same courage and determination that brought me to this milestone. That's awesome, Vincenzia. We're looking forward to celebrating that first soberversary with you. 
So that's it from me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.